Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 160, Sins of the Father. Welcome to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I am John, son of Richard. And I am Ken, son of Charlie. Sounds better in Klingon. Each week on Mission Log, we do the honorable thing. Watch an episode of Star Trek, then pull it apart like a raw bird for messages, morals, and meanings. Then we smear caviar on it and call it a show. This week, Sins of the Father. Fathers, by the way, not in this episode. They are in absentia. Huh. Ain't life funny. In a moment. I'm done with that. In a moment. (laughs) John's going to do his trivia thing. Uh, Before he does, though, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can do that. Our phone number is 323-522-5641. Is it silly to call it a phone number? Our communicator transponder number, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents and a place to leave comments, is missionlogpodcast.com. And please... Do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now, in the finest Klingon tradition, trivia. Klingons love trivia. Klingons are crazy (laughs) for trivia. Man, quiz night on a Klingon Uh ship is nuts. It it lasts about 12 hours. Watch out. And you think you speak Klingon. These guys. Today's episode, Ken, was directed by Les Landau, who we have met before, and it was written by a guy we have not met before, Drew Deegan. Now, he gets the credit for the original story based on his spec script. Yes, another spec script written and submitted through that open door policy. Uh, His script about War's father, Moog. Now, his name actually appears in the episode as the captain of the Intrepid, if you were to freeze frame on uh, Data's computer. When they're looking up information about the Intrepid, you would see Captain Drew Deegan. Um, You also have Beth Woods contributing here. Now, she wrote Contagion that we talked about back in Season 2, and uh, she had submitted her script for a story in which Worf's brother pays a visit to the Enterprise. Michael Piller, in his infinite wisdom, saw fit to combine the two ideas. And what did he do? He handed that idea off to Ronald D. Moore. So he did the polish. He's the one who brought these together at Michael Piller's direction. Now, Ken, welcome to the Klingon homeworld. And uh, in the strict release date order, this will be the first time we actually see what it looks like. Um, Star Trek VI had not yet come out when this episode aired. The design work on this show got an Emmy Award. Uh, there are some great reuse of set pieces here, some from the space station in a matter of perspective, and, of course, those giant Jeffries tubes that we saw in The Hunted. And uh, let's talk about our guest stars, because there are guest stars aplenty. Kern, played by Tony Todd, and it's kind of a fool's errand to summarize his career in a few <laughs> sentences in the trivia section of Mission Log. It was, um, the guy, it was uh, crazy. I went to IMDB because I'm like, I know that guy. What do I know him from? Yeah, and it turns yeah. out the answer is everything. You know him from all the things. I think yes. there is a chance that he is <laughs> yeah. in family photos of mine. This guy <laughs> lives in front of every camera. Yeah, he works all the time. Now, he's an imposing figure who is probably best known to horror fans from the Candyman movies, 
but he also appeared in just about every other kind of film or TV show you can imagine. He had multiple appearances on Chalk 24, The Young and the Restless. He appeared in and executive produced in a little indie movie that I quite like called Sushi Girl. Uh, he, he's in the 1990 version of Night of the Living Dead. Plus, uh, he's been on Xena, The X-Files, Babylon 5. If that's not enough, we will see more of him in Next Generation as well as Voyager and Deep Space Nine. And now, he also appeared in the 2005 series Night Stalker, the revival of Kolchak the Night Stalker. Moving on, uh, Charles Cooper played Compact, and now we have uh, seen him before playing a Klingon. He was Cord, who was assigned to Nimbus 3 in Star Trek V, then became a follower of Cybok. He's actually wearing some of his same costume pieces here as he was in the movie. Now, he got his start on stage, but made a career with TV guest shots like Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Bonanza, Hill Street Blues, Little House on the Prairie, and so much more. And uh, sadly, we lost him in 2013. Now, the conniving Duras is played by Patrick Massett, and he's kind of a triple threat, working heavily as an actor, producer, and writer. He has appeared in Friday Night Lights, Quantum Leap, and we'll see him again on Next Gen. As a writer, he's credited with the first Tomb Raider movie, uh, episodes of Caprica, and more. And as a producer, uh, he worked on the 2009 Night Rider, uh, Caprica as well, Friday Night Lights as well, uh, The Blacklist, and The Chicago Code, just to name a very few. And finally, we have Thelma Lee, who is Caleste, and she started as a dancer and then a singer and then moved into comedy. And she appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show many times, Johnny Carson, and uh, just tons of others in addition to doing her live act. So she didn't rack up a huge number of credits on the screen, uh, but you will find her in cult films like Future Shock and one of my favorites, They Live. Deken Lutjapo. Yemvav. Sorry. My Klingon accent is terrible. Prologue. The Enterprise is getting an exchange student. Commander Kern of the Klingon Defense Force will be serving on the Enterprise as first officer for a while, just as Commander Riker served as first officer aboard the Klingon ship Pog. Kern requested the Enterprise specifically, and he is ready to get to work, asking to go straight from the transporter room to his place on the bridge. There, he puts everyone in their place. It is his intention to bring a sense of discipline to which the crew may not be accustomed. Yeah, as long as it's cool with the captain. Like an idiot, Wesley Crusher gets caught whispering during Kern's speech, he gets yelled at, and we're underway. Act 1. In 10 Forward, both Wesley and Jordy LaForge are complaining to Riker about how hard Commander Kern is being on everyone. Everyone, that is, except Lieutenant Worf, the one guy who wouldn't mind a bit of guff from a Klingon. In fact, as we join them on the bridge, Kern is being nice to Worf. Exceedingly nice. Insultingly nice. It looks like Worf wants to punch him. Sadly, he does not. Kern and Riker bump into each other on the turbo lift, and Riker has a bit of advice for Kern. Well, he'd be happy to offer guidance if Kern would like it. Kern says he would not like it, but Riker will give it anyway. This is not a Klingon ship. Kern says he knows that. If it were a Klingon ship, Kern would have killed Riker for offering unsolicited advice. 
Dinner is for senior staff, including Riker, Troy, LaForge, Dr. Crusher, Captain Picard, Lieutenant Worf, and, of course, Commander Kern. It features the usual cross-cultural comedy that occurs when Klingons and humans sit down to eat. You cook your food? Ooh, but I'll try it. Hey, funny story, I nearly killed Commander Riker in the turbo lift, and I seriously cannot eat this food. Oh, I'm sure it's well prepared, but it is much too bland for the stomach of a Klingon. Apparently missing that that was a dig at Worf, Geordi says, Worf likes it. Yes. In Commander Kern's quarters, Worf stops by to have it out, well, to ask some questions. After bashing the Enterprise as being soft and comfortable and not the ship for a Klingon, Kern says, ask your questions. Worf wants to know why Kern is consistently showing him dishonor. Kern says he was just being polite. Is it bad to be polite to a Starfleet officer? Worf points out that he's a Klingon. Kern kind of seems to question that. And Worf goes full fighting, ready to kill a Kern Klingon, which was just what Kern was looking for. Exactly the kind of reaction he'd hoped for from his older brother. Act 2. What? Kern was about a year old when Worf, his mother, and his father went to Kittimer. He was left behind with their father's friend, Lorg. When the family did not return, Lorg raised Kern as his own. As far as anyone else knows, he is Lorg's son. Worf, meanwhile, had been told by the Klingon High Command that he had no living family. Apparently, they'd assumed that Kern was killed with his mother and father. So, says Worf, you came here to watch me. Kind of a jerk thing to do. Kern says he had to. He had to know what kind of Klingon Worf was and whether he would answer the challenge. Challenge? Oh, yeah. Moog, our father, has been deemed a traitor to the Empire. Apparently, Moog is accused of aiding and abetting the Romulan attack on the Kittimer outpost, the attack in which Moog and his wife were killed. The challenge is now being made by Duras, son of Moog's fiercest rival. Worf tells Picard he needs to go clear his father's name or be executed as the son of a traitor if he can't clear his name, so can I go now? Picard says no. They will go. Picard will stand by Worf's side as he knows Worf would do for him. Set course for the first city of the Klingon Imperial Empire. In 10 forward, Kern reminds Worf that he'll need a Chadich to defend him. Since as an accused party, he'll not be allowed to fight should the need arise. Kern asks to be Worf's Chadich. And Worf says, sure. Awesome, says Kern. The sons of Moog will be victorious. Yeah, son of Moog, singular. Worf doesn't want Kern to reveal his true father, since if Worf fails, they'll both be executed. Reluctantly, Kern agrees. Act 3. There's lots of yelling in the Great Hall on Getty Prime. I mean the Great Hall in the first city of the Klingon Imperial Empire. Worf is there to challenge the ruling of the High Council. You know what happens if you lose? I die. You could... Now, just assume that everything is yelling for a little while, okay? Someone, presumably Duras, takes a dig at Worf for reclaiming a birthright he had forsaken. Also, what's up with those clothes and what's up with those guys? Worf says he did not forsake his birthright. As for those guys, they are Riker and Picard. Picard says he asked to be there. Worf has been a rock-solid member of his crew, and it is his hope that this council, in its wisdom, will clear his family name and return him to duty. And that impresses Kempak, the Klingon overseeing the proceedings. Speaking of which, get on with it. Duras says Moog is accused of having transmitted the Kittimer outpost security codes to the Romulan patrol ships, allowing the Romulans to destroy the outpost 
leading to the deaths of thousands, including the father of Duras. Duras calls Worf's father a traitor. He calls Worf a traitor. He smacks him. He strips the Klingon emblems from Worf's chest. And they break for lunch. You'll hear Worf's evidence later. Back aboard the Enterprise, Picard tells Data to find out everything he can about the attack on the Kitimer outpost. Also, see if Klingons will give us access to all of their information. Riker and Dr. Crusher will eventually join in the fact-finding as well. And computer, teach me about law and familial accountability among Klingons. The game is afoot. Back in the first city, Kampak wants a word with Worf. Why did you bring the challenge? Sure, you're a Klingon, but you're Federation. This would not have affected you at all. But my father, says Worf, is dead, says Kempak. We need to forget the past, let go of it, and protect what we have right now. This is way not Klingon, and neither is this. Kempak says if Worf leaves before the Mekba, that's the part where Worf presents his evidence, if he just gets out of here, Kempak can make this whole thing go away. Not surprisingly, that's a non-starter for Worf. Meanwhile, Kern has been drawn to a different part of the city, here he meets Duras, who tells Kern that he knows that he is Moog's son. Walk away from Worf, and we'll let you live. Kern says he will not walk away from his brother, and is attacked, stabbed, left for dead. Act 4. Left for dead, but not dead. Dr. Crusher is putting her skills to work on Kern. He'll be fine, though Worf says they should have let him die. Since Duras knows Kern's true lineage... He, too, will be executed. Data's digging has turned up something on the Kittimer attack. Turns out, yeah, somebody did send codes to the Romulans before the attack, and it looks like they were Moog's codes. Things are not looking good for Team Moog. And hang on, it also looks like someone has tampered with the records. Worf and Picard are putting two and two together. It's not just Duras that wanted Worf's family dishonored. It's the Klingon High Council as well. The why will have to wait, though. Worf needs a new Chadich, and he asks Captain Picard. Picard argues that Worf should go for someone younger and stronger, but Worf says there is no one he would rather have by his side. Picard accepts, and the two head back down to the council chamber. Worf announces that his challenge will continue. No deception nor traps set for his Chadich by the coward Duras will stop him. The digging on the Enterprise has produced more useful information. Worf was not the only survivor of the Kittimer attack. A Klingon woman, Kalest, not to be confused with Kalest, was found with Worf, though the two were separated in the aftermath. Turns out she was his nurse. Worf thought she was dead, but no! She actually lives in the old quarter of the first city. She may have information that could be helpful. Picard sets off to find her as we head to break. Act 5. Picard finds Kalest. Recognizing Picard as Chadish, she's not overjoyed at the prospect of helping. She says she died on Kittimer. Metaphorically speaking, obviously. She does offer information, though. According to her, Moog went to Kittimer because he suspected someone else of conspiring with the Romulans and followed them to Kittimer. She doesn't know who that someone was, though. Now please, go. I'm dead. Outside of Kalis place, Picard is nearly dead as well. Literally, he's attacked, and it is only the intervention of a knife-wielding Kales that keeps him alive. Impressed by Picard's bravery in fighting the attackers, Kales agrees to go back to the council with Picard. She won't even have to say anything. Just seeing her and knowing that she might know something may shake out the truth. Kales thinks it might work. Kempak had a thing for her back in the day, though. 
he was, in her estimation, too fat. Picard and Kalas burst into the council chamber just as judgment is about to be passed against Worf. Picard says he has an eyewitness to the events on Kittimer, and she's got a story to tell. Kempak will see Duras, Worf, Picard, and Kalas in his chambers, where the whole story falls apart. Or comes together, depending on which side you're on. It was Duras' father, not Worf's, who betrayed the Empire and sent the codes to the Romulans. There's just one thing. Duras' family is pretty powerful. Kill him as a traitor to the Empire, which he would be since his father was a traitor, and there's a chance that Klingon society will fall apart. A good chance. Like, that'll happen, and the Klingons will end up in civil war. So they figured, hey, blame Moog. Worf's living the good life in Starfleet now. He won't come back. And there are no other kids, so problem solved. Except Worf came back and there is another kid. Well, whatever, says Picard. Worf's challenge worked. You have to clear his family's name. Yes, yeah, says Kempak. I'm not sure you heard that last part. This is not going to happen. Worf has to die. And Kern has to die. Both to save the Empire. Picard says, that will not happen. Though Kempak says, you save them and you risk the dissolution of the alliance between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. Worf has an idea. He'll die for the Empire. Let Kern live, and Worf will submit to execution. Duras says no. Kern would come back for revenge. So Worf has another idea. He'll accept discommendation. Admit his father's treason. He'll allow seven generations of shame on the house of Moog, but he and Kern will live. Kern continuing his life as before, the son of Lorg, as far as the worlds know, not the son of Moog. Just one more thing. Worf calls Duras the son of a traitor. He smacks Duras. Then he goes to accept this commendation. Kern wonders to Picard why Worf is doing this. Kern was prepared to die. Picard explains that someday he and Worf will clear Moog's name, and Worf needs Kern alive with his reputation intact to make that happen. And with that, the members of the Klingon Council ceremoniously turn their backs on Worf. He is cast out of the Empire the end. It is so heartbreaking to hear that the guy who perfected the synthesizer has been dishonored. Like this. <laughs> you, is that Moog or Moog? It is, is that, Moog. It's pronounced, pronounced is, Moog. Is it pronounced Moog, really? It is, it is pronounced Moog. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Moog. I actually thought about, I, you know, before we did the whole we're sons of Klingons thing at the beginning, mm-hmm. I actually thought about just pulling some sort of a synthesizer riff. We should probably do that anyway. And say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? <laughs> that's how Moog would say, welcome to Mission Log. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> right. Um, I'm glad that here on our uh, recorded podcast show, yes. you mentioned the Imperial Empire uh, uh, from the uh, Department of Redundancy Department. It hurt. <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> I, I actually had to go back and listen to it a couple of times to make sure that I heard it correctly. And sadly, <laughs> I did. Well, I, correctly, it, I heard what they said. I'm wondering. Yeah. I'm wondering if there was supposed to be something else there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you also wonder, like, here's you know all the people on the set, and here's a script supervisor, and here's a director, and everybody's hearing that come out of Patrick Stewart's mouth. And does anybody say, I, you know, <laughs> maybe? <laughs> well, and I gotta say though, I gotta say though, it's Patrick Stewart again. The, mm-hmm. the first time I watched it, didn't even cross my mind. It was yeah. only when I was making the notes. I was like, oh, what's the name of the city? I need to note that down. It's the, uh, really? <laughs> the first city of the Imperial Empire? Really? Yeah. Right. Turns right. out. Okay. Um, I do like that there is a specific call out to Riker's tour on the Pah. 
Yes. Um, that was kind of nice. I mean, we, we've been uh, establishing these threads that refer to other shows, but now we, we very specifically reference it and talk about it for a little while. Yeah. And, and Riker gets to share a little wisdom uh, with uh, Kern, which is kind of nice. Gets to. <laughs> yeah. Even though he got threatened with death. Yeah. Uh, I get, you know, very, very difficult to serve on a Klingon ship. I think it would be awful um, that, that they would kill each other for making suggestions, although that might help in some corporate situations. So, I mean, it may not be an idea that we totally throw out. It's weird, honestly, when, when, when Kern said that, because, I mean, certainly Riker had to fight to become uh, second in command on the PAW, right? Yeah. yeah. Actually, the second in command was like, yeah, I don't like this idea. And Riker's like, well, it doesn't matter that you don't like it. And the second command's like, yeah, it does. And so then Riker, you know, beats him up, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's just short of death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it actually had me thinking of the mirror universe. Oh, Remember? sure. Because yeah, we talked yeah. about that in TOS when it's like, yeah. so basically if you get two guys together and you kill another guy, then you get to move ahead in the game. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, society lasts like 10 minutes that way. <laughs> right, yeah. So it was a little surprising to hear Kern say, yeah, I, no, I totally, I to-, you know, on if, if, oh, if this were a Klingon ship, yeah, they'd be mopping you up. Right. Um, The captain's mess was nice. Um, Mm. I like how the replicator makes a turkey that Picard has to carve. It's like, (laughs) we'll we'll do kind of some of the work for you, but you still sort of get to the honorary work, you know? Yeah. Uh, they had a whole poached salmon on the table with the head and everything and eyeballs. Um, Absolutely delicious centerpieces. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Delicious centerpieces. Um, a lot of new potatoes. Yeah. Just a lot of new potatoes and some assorted vegetables. I don't think the potatoes have been cooked, so um, maybe not want to get too deeply into those. And we learned that Picard carries real beluga caviar with him. Yeah. That's class. That is very cool. But um, it looked like on the platter that uh, that Dr. Crusher was holding, they had Ritz crackers yeah. with that beluga caviar. And that, that, I'm afraid, won't do. If that's the 24th century, then I want no part of it. You know how yeah, there are many ways that you can tell that you watch maybe a little too much Star Trek or maybe you watch it a little too closely? Mm-hmm. I was amazed that we were still doing that to fish. <laughs> really? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I know, it was a I, replicated fish, right? It was no, doing anything to a fish. No, no, no. It's I'm not talking. Fish. No, I'm not talking about the fish with the head. I'm talking about the caviar. Oh, oh. oh when Picard's okay, serving yeah. the caviar to Kern, he's like, "Yeah, you know, uh, replicator caviar sucks, but I keep like a few cases of caviar, yeah, just for special occasions." Mm-hmm. So that means we're still farming row. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah, which is surprising delicious. in the 24th century. And you see, and you say it's delicious, and that was the other thing. I was really surprised that that would not totally hit the palate of a Klingon in just the right way. Right, yeah. Like, oh, oh, unborn fish egg. <laughs> Hand that over. I was really surprised he didn't like, pick up the whole container and just slurp it right. and ask if there was more, which, right. which I think would have actually probably been better and funnier, although really it is wonderful when he sort of wipes it on top of the turkey. <laughs> It, that's right. Who's to say that that's not a delicious thing? You, yeah, know, just, but, uh, you know, Thanksgiving is always just around the corner, John. <laughs> and you can do Thanksgiving in June. Some people do Christmas in July. I like Thanksgiving in June. Really, any time is the right time for caviar and turkey. Right, right. And you know what it's also uh, time for? Any time is a good time for Space Force. Oh, well, that's the only way to eat caviar and turkey. Yeah, right. We got them. We got yeah. space books in this episode. Um, a, a couple of uh, unfortunate insults here. You know, um, you mentioned it in your recap that uh, Jordy just blurts out, "Oh, seems to agree with Worf. That's bland food." <laughs> 
Thanks, jerk. <laughs> yeah, can I say there? The, um, uh, never mind. I can't. I, I can't. I, I can't say it. Yeah. It, it, how? How did Jordy miss that? I know. Yeah. I know. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And then, and then, uh, in the the Klingon hall, mm-hmm. they uh, they they sort of dressed down Worf by saying like, "Oh, and you you dare to come in here wearing a child's uniform?" It's like Picard's <laughs> right there. Picard and Riker actually in that scene. They're right. What was there. Riker doing there? Uh, you know, he's, he's I'm not compl- the pod. I'm not. Well, I guess there is that. I'm not yeah. complaining. It was really kind of funny to me, though. They're like, so what's up with the clothes and what's up with those guys? And Picard's like, I asked to be here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Does that work? Like, I'd rather be on the Enterprise. <laughs> did, did Troy get to ask to be there? I mean, was that like a thing? It's like it's part of the exchange program. If you want to go down to the Klingon High Council, mm-hmm. just ask. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a very Klingon thing, of course, where 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 um, where Warp says uh, it is a good day to die, Duras, right? Mm-hmm. And that's you know, if it stopped right there, it was fine. Yeah, I think it says, and the day is not over. What? And and so I'm confused by that because it's like, actually, if I'm going to die, maybe we should go ahead and do it now because my day gets nutty later. So <laughs> <laughs> right now yeah. is a good day to die. Uh, later, I may have to put you off till tomorrow, though. It's nothing personal. I just got some things. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, we also learned that Klingons use paper to pass notes. Yep. Well, that's super cool. Could have been the skin of something, but yeah. Oh sure. They're still okay. they're still sort of writing out a little note. Yeah. They write it down. Like they got pads everywhere. They probably have an iPhone in every pocket somewhere under all that armor. But um, no. But they, it was like, oh wait, is that me buzzing or you? No, right. like, this is potentially incriminating. I'd better actually write it down on something better, and hand yeah. it to somebody. I don't exactly. Just, I don't want to just whisper it to them. Exactly. Uh, there's a great scene. Kern is stabbed, fade out, go to commercial, fade in. Oh, he'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case we were worried. Um, uh, and hopefully we'll get to see. Federation okay. Federation medicine has moved forward a lot. I mean, you remember um, Bones would have lost him right there. Yeah, no kidding. Even as late as uh, Star Trek Six, it would have been like, yeah, there's really nothing. I, there's nothing I can do. Because well, look at his forehead. I, <laughs> there's nothing I can do. Well, and it is interesting, you know, I mean, uh, uh McCoy was dealing with phaser blasts. You know, there, there were parts of that Klingon that were disintegrated. That's right. True. Yeah. Okay. But it, but here you have these assassin knives that are just horrible and apparently just rip out organs. Just terrible, terrible, deadly weapons. Yeah. But you had two assassins who didn't finish the job. Well, if you're a Klingon assassin and you don't kill. You're not a very good assassin. You're not even a Klingon assassin, right? You're not just even Klingon yeah. with a knife. Yeah, um, yeah. No, uh, Doctor Crusher actually mentioned what what a horrible uh, weapon that was. But thank goodness, Kern has incredible metabolism. I couldn't tell yeah. if he had like better metabolism than other Klingons, or if it's just a Klingon thing. I was wondering that because he's like, like Wolverine of Klingons. Yeah. He'll be fine by Act Five. Is basically yeah. what she's saying. <laughs> like, no, we need him later in the show. So luckily, even though he nearly died. He'll be okay any minute now. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, did you notice that – so Klingons have terrible teeth. We, we know that. Except for Worf. He's actually got really good teeth. And the reason of that, he kind of stopped wearing the ugly Klingon teeth early in the run because they made dialogue difficult. So they would – if you're going to have a close-up on them, you'd get the bad teeth. Yeah. Definitely don't have a close-up they get rid of maybe it's just because it's in hd now you can really tell but it's much more obvious when other klingons are around so there's tony todd kern just got the just the nasty and he's kind of like snarling when he talks right and yeah and Worf looks like he's been to a very good dentist 
throughout yeah. uh, most of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Had not noticed that. That's kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah. I thought actually, so on, on I guess a bit more of a serious note, I did like that. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting parallel between Worf and Picard. It has to do with fighting, which I don't really think of as Picard's forte. But um, when mm-hmm. Kern is challenging Worf, Worf says a demonstration of just how Klingon he can be can be arranged. That's before, you know, the, yeah. big, the big reveal that they're actually brothers. And then later when Duras is challenging whether Picard is suitable as a Chadish for Worf, Picard says, hey, you want to throw down, just say the word. I thought it was kind then, of because they're not they're not characters that I normally think of as being uh, parallel, but uh, certainly in this episode, uh, parallels were very much drawn for them. Right, right, and they throw him the knife, and you're like, okay, is he going to get a chance to use it? <laughs> you know, it's like if you introduce that plot element, we we better use it at some point. Although in the episode, a less formal fight than than maybe they were uh, indicating what happened. But remember. We do know that Picard has done some rash, uh, dangerous, and violent things in his past, as he revealed to Wesley and uh, and swore Wesley to secrecy. How else did he get their artificial heart? A long-lost girlfriend, an old nurse, a brother he thought was dead. The next thing you know, some kid will show up that Worf does not even know about. I was thinking about when Star Trek The Next Generation premiered, and it was a really big deal that there was a Klingon on the bridge. And that was by design, because it drove home this message that in the future, we make friends of our enemies and we are better for it. You know, and, and so we we solved all of these kind of lingering problems, certainly interpersonal problems. But the, the people that we think of as our old enemies are just not our enemies because we we could be better than that. Do you think? Right? Well, that's I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's sort of like putting Chekhov on that bridge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, right? it was. Yeah. Do you think you put a Klingon on there because by then um, Star Trek lore is so um, burned into people's brains that putting a Klingon really says something? Because who are you going to put on otherwise? It's not yeah. like a yeah, right. It's not a U.S. ship the way the Enterprise one seven zero one was. Even though right. the Enterprise wasn't, it was, and you know it right. certainly said something that on this U.S. ship we had a we had a Russian mm-hmm. in the in the mid to late sixties. Yeah, I mean the scale and scope of Next Gen had to be bigger than the scale of the original series. So if we're going to make it something it, as dumb and small as Planet Earth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to make it seem like it is galaxy wide at this point. And and we have gotten better so that our our sworn enemies for decades and decades are we've managed to work out some kind of a piece. Of it. So that's a good message. And it, and it I, I think it also is a way to say to the writers, hey, we can't rely on the same old, uh, you know, oh, we got to fight the Klingons this week and that'll be the story that gets us through and we can't come up with another story. So it served a lot of purposes, I think. And then, you know, of course, we fleshed out that story with Star Trek VI to show the origin for the peace between the Federation and the Klingon Empire because in release date order, Next Gen had been on a few years before Star Trek VI came out. What was really interesting in this episode is how shaky that peace and understanding really is, even after decades. I mean... Star Trek VI, we end on this very high note. 
that that's uh, oh look here we we've we've learned something <laughs> we've come together we realize that we can work together there are good klingons and there are good people in the federation and and they will be the ones who lead us to a better future and and you kind of end on that high note and that's the send off and so far in next gen we've seen Worf be a, a good and valuable member of the enterprise crew and in this episode we kind of really mess with that we say that yeah the the Kittimer peace accords happened or where they they got started but then everything went to hell <laughs> so so now we've got a, a lot more work to do even though it has been decades since that initial peace Worf is still the only Klingon in Starfleet as far as we know and he has met with such incredible resentment and ridicule at every turn we've already seen it in two other episodes at length, where Klingons encounter Worf and like, you're not a real Klingon. Hmm. And, and now we, we see it again here. I was trying to think of a contemporary parallel. I, I, you know, where would you even go with that? And I, all I could think of is, well, we were once in a Cold War at the Soviet Union. And yeah, things today may still be a little tense between the U.S. and Russia. But, but imagine if people from both countries serving together aboard the ISS found themselves in the other's home country you know, would a cosmonaut showing up in the U.S. just be outright ridiculed for serving with a U.S. astronaut? Or would a U.S. astronaut just be outright ridiculed for serving with a cosmonaut? I mean, it just seemed like maybe it's the Klingon way. Maybe maybe the Klingons start their warrior shtick by uh, by throwing in a bit of uh, ridicule and humiliation as well. Um, you know, for some reason, freedom fries leap to mind. <laughs> really? No, I mean, no, seriously. I mean, you ask that question, you say, well, yeah, nobody would be that stupid. And you'd like to think that nobody would be that stupid. Mm-hmm. But we had freedom fries yeah, in our lifetime. And if nobody yeah. knows what I'm talking about, just look it up because it's embarrassing <laughs> and it's dumb. There, you know, there's there's one thing that, that I, I kept sort of hitting me and I, I – Kern is not a member of the Klingon Imperial Army of the Empire. <laughs> he's a member of no. the Klingon Defense Force. Yeah. They don't I mean they're they're warriors still and they have an army, one guesses. I mean they have ships, they have battleships, they can go into battle, they can fight. But he's a member of the Klingon Defense Force. I don't know what the terms of the Kittimer Accord were. Mm-hmm. But I mean it, it it seems like I mean you certainly wouldn't go so far as to say that they've neutered um, the Klingons, but they are not the warrior culture that they were. I mean, they still are, but they're not really, right? He can't say, I am a commander in the greatest battle army you know, the galaxies have ever known. He's like, I'm I'm the guy who helps defend the Klingons. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's mm-hmm. a very different posture. That's not an aggressive posture. That's a defensive posture. And that's a, kind of a different sort of thing. Hmm. I, I don't know if I go so far as to say that, uh, as you said, things have gone to hell. Between the two, um, it it is possible though that the Klingons, like the average Klingons, what was the, what was the one where the three Klingons came and tried to take over the Enterprise? Well, one died right away, but then the other two stuck around. Right, right. They right, were right. trying to start a race war, basically. They were trying yeah, to start a. I can't remember the name of the episode. Ah, a surprise, a matter of honor. Thank you very much. I kept wanting to say code of honor. I'm like, no, 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 no not no, code no. of honor. Um, <laughs> it's possible that the Klingons, as a as a as a race, honestly, as an empire feel like that they are still laboring under some sort of yoke. Some of them might anyway. I mean, yeah. uh, it's imposed by 
well, the need for their empire to not completely fall apart, which is, of course, what was happening when after Praxis blew up. They had like six months left of solvency, right? Yeah. And after that, right. they were going to fall right. apart entirely. But I don't know. It's. I mean, you're right. It's. They are very. They have evolved so much beyond villain of the week. Um, even more so in this episode. It's crazy how much happens in this episode. Although it's also yeah. weird to remember yeah. that Star Trek Six hadn't actually happened yet when this came out. Right. Oh, timelines. Um, I'm wondering if we should talk about the fact that uh, Kern. Uh, weaseled his way onto the Enterprise. I mean, he he um, he got there under false pretenses. He did, absolutely did. Yeah, I can't remember which episode it was that we were talking about a few weeks ago. A lot of people kind of got angry with me because I said, "Should we question whether or not this guy's motives were good?" Uh, oh, wait. even though by he the failed. way, yeah. By the way, Heart of Glory. Heart of Glory. What? That that's the three Klingons. Oh, Matter of Honor was the Pach was uh, the oh exchange okay. program. Heart of Glory. Yeah, well, well done. At least yeah, you, at least you. you saved it in time, so you didn't have to answer it on Twitter for next for the next <laughs> three weeks, which episode it was. Um, I misremembered an episode recently, by the way, but nobody caught me on it because they figured, ah, eh, it's Ken. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he misremembered the episode. Who are we talking about? Um, just like I can't remember which episode it was, I asked a few weeks ago if this guy, if the the guy who did the thing, it was um oh it was the hunted. I want to say maybe oh, okay. it was the hunted. Man, maybe it wasn't the hunted though. It could have been any number of. But the hunted is one that we did recently. Mm-hmm. Um, Curtin's pulled off a whole lot to get next to Worf, and in so doing, he sets off a whole chain of events that could have led to the fall of the Klingon Empire. And and I want to ask if there's honor in what he did and, you know, like Klingon style honor. And of course there is because he's a Klingon. He was defending his family and all that stuff. But I mean, he's really basically lived a lie for 20 years and weaseled his way up through ranks and has now practically taken over the Enterprise. Not not actively, not actually taken over the Enterprise, but just by being there and saying, by the way, bad things are going to happen. He yeah. set off this whole other chain of events and it all started with him. Um, you know, covering up who he was and lying and working his way up near the top of command. It struck me as kind of interesting that, that nobody's like, by the way, when this is all done, we need to talk. Because <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate, you know, what's going on, but I don't really appreciate what's going on. I mean, this again is, is I mean, to use the line I used last week, I think it was, Picard could have been like, wow, you know, if you hadn't told me about this, I'd be happy. Right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but yeah. now that I know about it, I got to do something. <sighs> right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's uh, that's uh, it's an awful lot of work to get to that point. Yeah. Maybe I'm, and maybe I'm getting caught on a technicality there. But it just I mean, where you're talking about a group of people that are so much about honor. Well, all I got to do is lie to protect my honor, which right. you know, well, we may yeah. end up circling back around to the greater <laughs> Klingon question here any second now. Yeah, uh, well, and how about we get into that? Right, so the, the central moral quandary here is really fascinating. So, mm-hmm. And it reveals an ugly truth that there are still people who can get away with terrible injustices because of status and privilege. And we have that today. <laughs> so definitely some uh, contemporary parallels we could draw there. Um, Picard may state outrage that, that there is something other than truth getting in the way here, but uh, we all have to ask ourselves if the Klingon Empire is acting for the greater good. Did they make the moral decision by doing an immoral thing? Uh, And worst decision is one of personal strength that is clearly admirable, but it's also the kind of story that I, I really respond to. I mean, it's a moment in which personal moral guidance overtakes 
adherence to tradition or authority because it is objectively right rather than a prescribed outcome. I mean, I think that's what's so cool here. Um, and, and I guess we have to ask ourselves here who is responsible in a, a family, a culture for someone else's crime. And can you be responsible without actually being guilty? And, uh, and at the end of that process, what does that accomplish if both the victim and the perpetrator are dead? You know, that's kind of where we are in this situation. Now, granted, it's a horrific crime um, and it's a, a terrible injustice toward the Klingon people. And, and the Klingons are not going to sort of uh, let bygones be bygones by any means, you know. Um, but it, it opens up this sort of weird, nasty thing at the, at the heart of all this talk about Klingon honor. Well, you say Worf's decision is is a strong decision. It's an admirable decision that he is saving a lot of lives. He he's falling he's, on his sword. He's saving a lot of lives, but what's he doing it for? I mean, it, what he is defending is not Klingon honor or Klingon way. It's the status quo. I mean, I I, I have to ask you know what's being said about a system that undermines the values that it says it holds most dear to hold itself together, right? Mm -hmm. Klingons are theoretically about honor above everything else. If you're a traitor to the empire, your family name is in disgrace for seven generations, unless you happen to be around to answer the charges, in which case you're killed. And so are your offspring. And side note, <laughs> so if Warp's grandfather had been alive, right? If, yeah. if father of Moog had been around, mm -hmm. what, would, would he be on the hook as well? Would he be dead? Or great grandfather, and maybe that gets you like you know three or four generations ahead. <laughs> so yeah, right. it's like, well, right. my family name is going to be bad for seven generations, but but the three generations are still alive, so really it'll only be three or four. <laughs> so this really won't be so bad. That, that that part's not important. It was just something about which I wondered. At the end of this whole thing, the Klingon High Council is not as much about honor as it is about order, as it is about the status quo and about keeping power. And and so they make this big deal of you know this big show of honor and tradition and weeding out the traitors, even though the High Council knows who the traitor is and they know it's not Worf and they know it's not Moog, right? Yeah. Not only are they willing to turn a blind eye to the treachery of the line of Duras, they will actually honor him and pin all of this on someone else just to maintain order and power. And so, I mean, first of all, I don't I don't know who or what they are at that point. I don't know what it is they're fighting to save unless it is just their own power structure or the lives of the people in the empire. But I don't know why Worf did it. I mean, you say Worf did the honorable thing, but what's supposed to be important to Worf is honor. And I'm talking about sure. when he was willing to die. I'm not talking yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. throw off your name. That's fine. I mean, if that's going to yeah. save lives, I suppose. Except that even struck me as not being. That's not terribly Klingon. Worf's honestly being more Federation. At this point, Worf is honestly going more the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few because well, he doesn't want all of those people to die. But I mean, what's like what are any of these people fighting for anymore? They're just going well, through the motions the of I saying mean, that things are good or things are honorable. Yeah, but I, I'm going to guess that as a Klingon civil war would be really nasty. And not only would it absolutely devastate the Klingon homeworld, but it would also have repercussions with, of you know, compromising peace throughout the galaxy, 
you know, that basically the, the Federation Klingon alliance would probably be off or fall apart. I mean, it, it, Worf is certainly thinking about a much, much bigger picture than just like, okay, will there be a shakeup in the government? You know, it, it could absolutely be a terrible, devastating thing. And and Worf actually does have something to fall back on. That That's kind of the nice part <laughs> here. You he's, know? Got, he's got a pension with Starfleet. Yeah, yeah. Worf is going to be okay. But for a guy like Worf, who we've seen be more Klingon than Klingon over and over again, he kind of has to, has to absorb that and live with that. Um, you know, he, he's... He's had a difficult time assimilating to Starfleet culture anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, how much more difficult does that get when he can't fall back on certain Klingon uh, uh, you know, traditions or ideals because he's essentially turned his back and had his back turned by everybody else who was Klingon? It's a really tough situation, but he's a guy who looks at it and says, all right, well, I... I I at least respect the ideal of being Klingon enough to not want a bunch of other Klingons to be at each other's throats for years, decades, centuries to come because this would be such a a, a horrible upheaval of their system. But at the same time, I, man, I, I get it because I, I, I get what you're saying that he's essentially fighting for a lie. And that that brought me to my final note, just a question, is Klingon honor really a thing? Or is it the show that they put on for themselves and for others? Because we, we've talked about this. Yeah, yeah, Worf is sort of the, the fundamentalist Klingon because all he has to go on is his own study of what it means to be Klingon. He's totally removed from the day in, day out, interacting with other Klingons on the Klingon homeworld. Um, because apparently back home, that whole thing is a mess. You know, um, honor means more than life. Well, so says Kern. Mm-hmm. But in the hearing, it, it, it really doesn't. <laughs> you know, honor doesn't mean more than life. Uh, we, we would rather see people live, and we'd rather see the institution of the Klingon Empire stay than to actually respect the honor that they all say means so much to them. It's a really tricky thing because then you sort of backtrack and you look at everything else that we have learned about Klingon honor and said, wow, is this really just words on a page? And of you course, know? then the problem is you have to do the uncomfortable thing of saying, okay, so what are the Klingons standing in for at this point? Yeah. 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 And that's, that's where it gets a bit tricky. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> that's where you get hate mail. Not you, <laughs> not me, and not anybody in general, yeah. just people in general, everybody in yeah. general, I guess. That's, that's kind of what in general means. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. <sighs> we had freedom fries. <laughs> it's 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 so, uh, it's Omega Glory. It's 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 all of those things again, right? Yeah. It's the end of. Uh, and I know we're not supposed to talk about this because it's many 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 years before we'll be talking about this. But it's the end of uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. It's 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 saying, hey, look, you say that you're this thing, be that thing, right? Yeah. And that's the thing that's kind of weird about this episode. Uh, Worf stands there and says, you say you're this thing, so I'm going to go ahead and let you do that because I don't want people to die. And I understand, you know, but it's not really people dying. It's people on a page, right? And so yeah. it's it's kind of weird to me. 
granted, you don't want to take Star Trek The Next Generation into suddenly it's the Klingon Civil War story. Right. But at right. the same time, it was weird to have the – it was weird to have um, the, the most Klingon of all the Klingons. Not since the first Klingon. That was the first mm-hmm. Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> not since – not K-Lest has there been a Klingon so Klingon as Worf and yet um, – I don't know. Honestly, I thought his move was maybe more Federation than Klingon. After much yelling and threats of execution, the Klingon Empire is saved. Or is it? Who needs more voice work? Michael Dorn. Yeah. Can we get him to do interstitials for us? I love the computer. Don't get me wrong. Right. But if if, if he'd come on, look, I got ten bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think we get like four episodes out of him for ten bucks. I'll write cute little things for him to say in the middle. And he doesn't have to say anything cute. Even he doesn't even have to say anything. In fact, I could just get him to record the one line. Here is the next part, and I would be very happy. <laughs> Although, if I could really get him to say something like. And now it's time to figure out the messages, morals, and meanings, and whether the whole thing stands the test of time. Well, then I would just be ecstatic. Uh, since we don't have them, we have me doing a bad Michael Dorn imitation. Uh, Sins of the Father, John, does this episode hold up in your estimation? It is a, a great piece of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it really serves in this journey to make Worf a complex and standout character of Star Trek. Um like yesterday's Enterprise, it really helps if you've been following along. That That's where the payoff is here. Uh, because there's greater payoff when you know something about Worf and something about Klingons. Otherwise, I, I think you're just sort of looking at the TV going, who are these aliens and why are they always yelling at each other? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know? so, so you kind of have to have the background there to get it. Um, we really open ourselves up here uh, to continuing stories about the dilemma of this episode. And I hope we get to see more and spoiler, we will. Yeah. Um, it's obvious they're setting, they're setting it up for that at the very end of it. Picard's basically saying, Hey, don't worry, Tony Todd, we'll see you again. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. We're keeping you alive and healthy because there's, there's unfinished business here and we're going to go back to that. Yeah. Um, this is this is a great episode. It tells us many, many, many wonderful things about the Klingon Empire. Uh, it certainly raises a lot of questions, which we'll get into a bit more again in a moment. Um, I do have to. I uh, there's a problem with this episode. I think, um, and it holds up. I mean, I'll go ahead and say it holds up. It, sure. it just yeah. if you if you think about it too much. I mean, just like just about anything. If you think about it too much, you can find holes in it. Um, I don't understand how it is that no one remembers anyone from Worf's childhood. <laughs> Worf right. would have known that he had a brother who did not come with him to Kittimer, right? Yeah. Uh, Lest, if I'm pronouncing that right, and don't correct me if I'm not, Kalest, <laughs> um would have known that Kern didn't go to Kittimer as well, though she would have known. I mean, so, I mean, knowing that he was not on the planet, right, where mm-hmm. almost everybody died, uh, she would have known that he was still alive. Uh, Kempek would have known about Kalest because, you know, he had a thing for her, though he yeah. was he was far too corpulent a Klingon to <laughs> draw her eye. Yep. Um, and the Klingon central net actually knows where Kalest lives, right? I mean, so, I mean, it, uh, this was like the worst connect the dots ever. I mean, it was yeah. practically, you can look at it and go, well, that's that's a square. 
I can, <laughs> there are four yeah. dots there. I can see that's going to be a square. Um, that that was um, a weak part of the episode, but I would say that was the only weak part of the episode. Um, yeah, I, it, I mean the the Klingons are, or at least on the Enterprise, you know, Data as well. We're like, well, we'll use Google, and <laughs> you Klingons just keep yelling at each other. Well, but here's the thing, though, he's right. using the Klingon Google. Yeah, I mean, he because right, right. they've asked for permission to have access to all of the Klingon information. Amazingly, the Klingons have given them access to all the information, even yeah. though the Klingons are actually trying to frame Worf. But yeah, go ahead. I, right. I don't. I don't think you'll find anything. Oh, you found the person who was with Worf <laughs> when the planet was attacked. How'd right. you do that? Oh, really? We had that information. Uh, Maybe we should have looked around, huh? Yeah. It was. It's also interesting though that they they assumed. I mean, Klingon Klingon means nothing at this point. Being a Klingon means yeah. nothing at this point because they assumed, just like them, yeah, Worf's fat and happy in the Federation. He's not going to care. Look, we'll say whatever we want to about him. He's not going to come back because what Klingon would... Oh, oh, turns out that Klingon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The one who got away is actually yeah. just dying to come back here. The rest of us, we're trying to get out. Uh-huh. I don't know. What about messages? Uh, man, uh, the, the Klingon Empire is, has feet of clay. I mean, that, that's kind of the interesting thing here um this show is about loyalty you know do you stay loyal to to family to friends the meaning the family that you've chosen in worst case the crew the enterprise Mm -hmm. or or to the institution or ideal Worf takes one for the team here um so even if he's expressing a, a, a kind of loyalty in his actions he's also expressing that his personal sense of morality is more important than what tradition dictates you know he he is willing to do that i i kind of wait help me out help me out how is he doing that he is deciding that his personal sense of morality is to say all right i'm going to let this happen i i am going to take this on me take the shame the guilt the whatever go back to my comfortable post on the enterprise Mm -hmm. because otherwise otherwise i would have let the entire klingon empire fall apart which you and i may argue may not be such a bad thing if the Klingon Empire is built upon this horrible lie and they don't actually respect the honor that they say that they respect. Mm-hmm. But uh but Worf Worf is willing to uh Worf is willing to take that. So fine. I I wondered if this was kind of like a Nixon thing. You know, we look at all the problems with the Klingon Empire and uh Klingons do honorable things because everything that Klingons do is honorable. And if a Klingon does it, then it's honorable. And <laughs> the I kept president does about, it, it's not illegal? The president does it, it's not illegal. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, that kind of left me with a weird position. I just I, – I wondered what the discussion about this episode must have been like when it was written to say, here's everything that we know about Klingons. Let's take the rug out from under it. Because we've had a lot of Klingons come on and talk about honor and talk about loyalty and talk about what it really means to be Klingon. Let's sort of show that the emperor has no clothes. Hmm. In this case, the imperial emperor. Well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it makes me anxious to see what more we'll get of that. I know that we will follow the story of um, Kern and Worf and Moog. We'll get more of that. But but I want to see more of what this reveals about what we're actually saying about this institution mm. that is 
the Klingon way of life, the Klingon government. And are we kind of poking holes in that saying, yeah, you can talk about honor as much as you want. But like you said, Ken, if you don't actually walk the walk, what's the value of those words? Well, there are a couple of things I'll say. First of all, you can never have enough Moog. So I'm glad we're going to be hearing a lot more of that going forward. And I hope I'm understanding you correctly. Um, I, I, I completely dislike the message in this episode. Mm. I disagree with the message in this episode. I mean, it's possible that, that Worf did a need to the many outweigh the need to the few thing. But I think he did. Where this is fiction, I want these paper people to die. Mm-hmm. I want these paper people to be thrown into civil war. I want these paper people to have bad things happen because then real people can look at it and go, man, maybe we should think. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would rather see Worf take a burn this village to save it approach than a I will sacrifice myself so that this completely flawed, totally riddled with lies, absolutely dishonorable system can continue. Because what? Worf is afraid a few people will die. Today was a good day to die earlier today, and Worf <laughs> doesn't even have to. I mean, this is, what, this is what their society is built on. And if you're going to stand on the street corner and pray, if you're going to you know, salute every flag of whatever country you happen to be from and sing loudly whatever patriotic song from whatever country you happen to be from, if you're going to proclaim a morality and a system of belief, but you're actually not doing anything but the show – if, if secretly you're doing things that are actually completely counter that, I don't know what anybody's saving at that point. And I don't know, honestly, I don't know who the show is for at that point. Is it for the most gullible? Is it for the most, is it for the least attached? I don't know. I don't know who you're doing that thing for. And, and I understand in real life, I get, you know, in, in the human world, how real those things can be, but this is fiction. What Star Trek has always done is, is tried to make people the best they can be, try to show people the best they can be. And I'm not saying war is the best that you could hope for. Nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100, you and I say, no, they shouldn't have picked up that phaser. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but what Worf is defending now is nothing. What Worf is defending is the status quo. What Worf is defending is, is not trouble. And that's not what I want my inspirational fiction to be. And that's, that's what Star Trek is supposed to be. It's supposed to be something that inspires us, right? It's supposed to be something that calls us to a, to a, to a higher ideal. And I don't think shut up and take it is the higher ideal that, uh, that Star Trek was built on. No, but I, I think we have to ask us, in the context of the story, okay, those 4,000 Klingons who died at Ketamer ages ago, mm-hmm. right? They're gone. They're not coming back. Mm-hmm. There is some some sense of order, some sense of working government uh, at the highest levels of the Klingon Empire. And you have one family who was responsible, well, one person within one family who was responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, they're, but they're highly placed and they have power, whatever, you know. Um, so if that were to be revealed, mm-hmm. does it undo so much for so many more people who who are good, who are, who are living the Klingon way of life, who, who aren't, you know, liars, cheaters, exploiters of that system. You know, the, it, 
if we go back to simply the, the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few, then I, I think that's not such a bad thing in this case. I do agree with you, though, that at least in this one case, there is corruption here that we would have wanted to have seen rooted out. Um, but I don't know if that necessarily means that the entire thing comes crumbling down with it. If the whole thing is so tenuous that that just finding out that the line of Duras is corrupt could lead to the dissolution of the empire, you are you are dealing with a people at this point that are held together by bailing wire and chewing gum. I mean that's it. You got nothing holding your federate your 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 empire together at that point. The morals, I mean, the thing that it's built on no longer exists. And so what are you fighting to protect? Because here's the thing. I mean, you say, well, this is one family, but maybe everybody else is good. Well, the poorest of the poor, let's say Kalest, or let's say Kalest's next door neighbor is thought to be a traitor. That person's dead within 24 hours. Yeah. I mean, this is not, this is not a fair and just system. Yes, there may be people... You know, persevering and working hard and trying to be the best Klingons they can be. But it's a system of lies. It's a system of lies and it's a system built on lies and what they're serving. Who knows what they're serving at that point? Because now all of this is a power structure. It's not even a power structure built on anything except for power keeping power. And, you know, you said earlier there, there are situations like that in the world today. And I understand mm-hmm. why in the world today we don't all <laughs> – why we don't all grab hammers and go outside. I get why we don't do that. But again, that's not what I look for Star Trek to do. I don't sure. look for Star Trek to be an apologist for going along to get along. I look for Star Trek to say, this is wrong and it should stop. And, yeah. and if you can't even in a fictitious setting have the – whatever the Klingon word is for something I shouldn't say. <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't have that in even a fictitious setting, then, I, then it, it goes back to stuff that I've talked about before when we've, when we've approached utopia. If we can't even say that you know, in the Star Trek setting, I don't know what shot we have in real life. You know what? I'll, I'll go with that. I, yeah. I, I actually – I like the way you phrased that. Thanks, man. And yet yeah. I still love this episode. Don't get me wrong. It's a fantastic episode. Do I agree with the moral? No. Actually, I don't. I don't like the moral decision that was made. Fantastic episode, though. I'd watch it again and again. It is. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's fascinating, like I said, to see, to see all this work that has been done to build up the Klingon Empire and give us an understanding of what Klingons are all about and then to say, uh, but they're kind of screwed up. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's um, a sham. Oh, yeah. oh well. Yeah. Uh, we can talk about honor all we want, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, your actions mean more than your words. Um, I look forward to, see, to seeing what else we get out of this. Yes. To, to, to what else we, uh, we get to pick up from threads of this story. And, and, and maybe if we'll have a better understanding of... Uh, Klingon honor and action rather than just uh, words. And of course, more Moog. Hey, I do want to let people know that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at roddenberry.com. And did I mention Roddenberry? For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week. The Legions.
some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. When visiting the first city of the Imperial Empire, make your first stop the first city of the Imperial Empire, Emporium. For Klingon short and tall, big and small, the first city of the Imperial Empire, Emporium, has it all. And transmission.